0: This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable!
1: From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from the kitchen counter in the crap part of West Hollywood, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. A oh,
0: oh, trap game midweek Premier League special. Special. Spesh. <laughs> oh. spesh. spesh. I'm so excited, Dave. You are. Do you know why? Why? The New York Times. Yeah. Oh, the failing New York Times, never failed more, wrote about our pod, Fake News, Fake News. And you loved this, didn't you? You, you, you texted me, actually. <laughs> it was so stupid what they said. What did they say about our podcast, David?
1: They didn't really say anything about our podcast in terms of the content <laughs> or what we talk about or even being about uh, football, soccer. They just said we have absurd levels of chemistry. I agree with the absurd part. An
0: absurd level of chemistry.
1: Absurd.
0: i can got to say, Will Shorts must be rolling in his grave with the New York Times, writing that kind of level absurdity, fake news. I, I went home, and I asked my wife, Dave, and, and I want to ask you to say, I said, like, what, what, what could that mean, absurd levels of chemistry? What, what, do, what, what does that even mean,
1: don't ask me and then throw me under the bus when, when Mrs. B gets it right. What does Mrs. B think?
0: She tried to, like, disregard the question, slap it down a bit. She said, it means that you're both bald, can open the oh, beer really? and talk at the same time. That was her first response. And then I think she saw us a little wounded in the elevator down to the lobby. And so she said, are you serious? I was like, yeah, no, I really want to know. And she thought about it a bit because we were going out for dinner. And when we got to the restaurant, she said, I think it means that you like to cry and Deva likes to watch you cry.
1: (laughs) See, I don't think she understands. I'm with a great respect to Mrs. B and I adore her and she is right in all things. I think this is she might not completely understand our relationship. I mean, (laughs) Rog, I certainly don't understand our relationship. I don't know why I love you so much, Rog, but I do. We come together. I've always said for my favorite conversation of the week is the conversation I have with you on this podcast. And it, I would say the chemistry was there, Roger. I'm getting a little emotional. I would say the chemistry was there even back in the five listeners' days when we could name them all. Shout out to Josh Kale. We had chemistry from the beginning, even when we didn't know what we were doing. And chemistry, in any double act, chemistry is a very important ingredient.
0: Do you know what? In, uh, when I was a little kid in school, I did no sciences whatsoever. It's one of my big regrets in life. I didn't do physics. I didn't do biology. I stayed to my histories, my, my English, my French is my Latin, my Greek. I never did a single science when I was growing up. So I actually have no understanding of even what chemistry is. Uh, but I do know the gent who said the quote to the New York Times, Jody Avignon, who's a lovely, lovely, wonderful bloke. Many of you, if you don't know him, you'll know his work. He runs ESPN's fantastic 30 for 30 podcast series. He also runs or ran a great charity night in New York City, which was Ask Roulette, it was like a cult night of wonder, like a live variety show, which raised money for the phenomenal Housing Works nonprofit, where we get loosely termed local talent. <laughs> Let's just say it was loosely termed because I was involved in it once. He got them up on stage, uh, and the, the whole shtick of Ask Roulette was that they would ask crazy, quick-fire questions of this talent that had to be answered like immediately with no hesitation. You had to come out with your gut, honest answer in front of a live, paying audience. And I love him. Here was the one that they asked me. I'm going to ask it to you, Dave. Are you ready for this? You need your instant gut reaction to this beauty. Yeah, I'm ready. In the soundproof booth with the headphones on, it's Michael Davis. If you could bring anyone from history back to life who would it be and why michael davis
1: well probably my mum uh to be honest as the first person i think because I, I i want to talk to her all the time actually it's as like as, as a pod i've got a picture of her in my kitchen so I'd probably bring my mum back to history i'd like to meet my grandfather but these aren't really famous figures i'll tell you who i'd like to go out for an evening out with it would be henry the <sighs> Around Henry VIII, around between wives number three and four. I think that was a really fun Henry VIII.
0: Just explain who Henry VIII is to our audience, just so we bring everyone along, and then I want to know exactly why he comes to mind, because that would be a night on the lash with Davo and Henry VIII.
1: I mean, Henry VIII, very, very famous king of the British Empire as it existed in the 16th century, married six times, large man bearded hunted I
0: think sam Allardyce is girth if he was a king
1: he lived in a palace in greenwich and so i've always thought of as where i grew up in london so
0: beheaded several of these wives we should say
1: well no only two of them divorced first one divorced beheaded died divorced <laughs> beheaded survived he only beheaded two of his wives yeah and to some extent <laughs> he had cause between three and four I think he would have been quite a fun guy to hang out with. So probably Henry VIII.
0: What, do you think you'd get real insight into, like, the balanced life between, like, being single, being married, long-term relationships, short-term relationships? You'd be able to chat about the secret of the happy marriage with him?
1: No, no. It'd just be really fun to be out on the lash with. That's all.
0: It'd be like going out with Diego Costa.
1: Yeah, can I say one more? Yeah. I sort of feel like I live in this sort of old house in Hollywood. I live right around a bunch of, like, real sort of old Hollywood landmarks, you know, I could really, I would have loved to have hang out with like some of those great Hollywood stars, like the Cary Grants, the, you know, in that era, that's not so much bringing them back to life now, but being able to somehow be alive with them in their prime. I'd have loved that.
0: what they call in the kid stays in the picture, the Hollywood swordsman. Yeah. That is old school. And when I say old school, I mean, thank God it's in the past rather than the present. Do you want to know who I said? Yeah, I do. I do. You, you would have thought I'd say something like deeper, meaningful, like Churchill or Maya Angelou or like Marouane Fellaini. Uh-huh. But <laughs> like my, my impulsive, honest answer, unfiltered, with no thought in front of an audience, live. I said, when I asked the question, I just spat out. And this was like not, these were words that came out. I was almost speaking in tongues. I didn't think them. He goes, Who is the one person you could bring back to life from history? Anyone. Why? I just said, Adolf Hitler.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Well, you
0: did. I was shocked. And they said, why? And I just said, and this is not, again, nothing I've ever really thought about. It was just pure emotional gut. I just said, Adolf Hitler. And they said, why? And I said, so I could kill him with my own hands.
1: Can I just stop you for one second? Yeah. When you say this is nothing I've ever thought about before. Yeah. I'm sure, like, our fans will, like, tell us this. We've spoken about you killing Adolf Hitler with your bare hands at least 17 times on the podcast. It's a recurrent... This is a recurrent thing. I was shocked. So I would bring back... I'd use
0: that special power just so I could murder someone. I had so much anger, Dave. <laughs> so much... I realised so much hate that I carried just below the surface. I had no idea.
1: Rog, Rog, your hate and anger is okay with Adolf Hitler. <laughs> That's completely understandable, it is permissible, like, that's OK. If you could just limit it to there and not Chelsea Football Club, that would be wonderful.
0: Is Marco Silva in the grey zone <laughs> or is that permissible too?
1: Uh, we'll see. OK, we've got a packed show. We're going to talk title race after HBIC headballed in charge Pep Guardiola's Man City fall at Newcastle and then a nervy Liverpool drop points to Leicester. We marvel at a two-goal comeback in the dying embers for Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's Man United's rebranding project and we check Maurizio Sarri's slam book. It's in Italian, sadly, after Chelsea's 4-0 drubbing <laughs> at mighty, mighty Bournemouth. To the football, Rog.
0: Oh, for a toast. I want to raise my second, first bud of the day oh, to GFOPs. Oh, smells so good. Across the Midwest in that subarctic freeze, humble by nature. Oh, stay warm, Midwest, is what I'd say. I've talked before... On this pod, about one of my favorite ever life experiences when I lived in the Midwest in Chicago. After a night of drinking, of carousing at the great hot leaf bar, I stumbled onto the elevated platform, the L, in the early hours of a... It was a truly freezing morning. It was absolutely terrifyingly cold. It was snowing, the Chicago wind, the hawk, I love the hawk, was just ravaging the exposed platform. Totally deserted, this place. And I am so bloody cold. All I want to do is to try and walk to the end of the platform and find those heaters that they have at the end of the Chicago platforms. And as I do, I kind of stumbled past a tiny old Irishman. I thought the platform would deserted, but no, there was one tiny, really old Irishman just standing there unbowed, uncowed, in the wind. He was wearing this camel overcoat and pork pie hat. It was like central casting. And as I walked Past him. Just me and him on this platform. He smiled. He winked. And then he quipped. "Tis a wonderful night to be alive. And then the train just blew past, came. I was on it before I knew it. And I'll say, David, his words have never left me. Even though, to be honest, and I was telling my kids this. I'm not sure to this day whether that irishman was ever truly there or not just a figment of my imagination or real but i want to raise bud fam blood fam to that irishman my beer to staying warm and to the truth that we all share that every night every night is a wonderful night to be alive
1: don't get me wrong i love that story but just as you were doing it it occurs to me as i was was holding my, my glass of pinot grigio Rog. it did occur to me It's one of those toasts where you hold up your glass and you're so dying to drink what you've got in your hand and yet you've got to go and listen to the whole story, which is the wind-up for the toast.
0: There's nothing better than the breakfast (laughs) Pinot Grigio, (laughs) Davo.
1: That's exactly what it's called on the label. davo
0: has been on the lash.
1: On the lash with Henry VIII. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Rog, we're going to start right off. Newcastle 2, Man City 1 with the chance to close the gap. On league leaders Liverpool, well, at least temporarily, playing a side they hadn't lost to in 22 games. A lackadaisical City crumble at St James's Park, despite Sergio Aguero scoring just 24 seconds into the match. Nice tweet, Rog. The Toons' shocking comeback <laughs> started on 66 minutes when massive Venezuelan Salomon Rondon poked the equaliser past Edison. They then took the lead on 80 minutes when Matt Ritchie fired home a penalty gifted by some clumsy Fernandinho play. Just a massive, massive result at both ends of the table, Rob.
0: Oh, let's raise a glass to midweek trap games, Oak, because this, <laughs> this one was about as close as we might ever come scientifically to watching football played in the upside down. Let's remember, let's go back before kickoff. This was meant to be the game in which apex hunter Manchester City They were meant. They they were destined. They had to gain this competitive psychological advantage on their prey, Liverpool, because for the first time in forever, they were kicking off before Liverpool rather than trying to hold serve and play after them. And they entered this one having blasted 28 goals in their previous six matches. And they were facing Newcastle, a patsy of a team. They'd won the last eight in a row against them. I mean, why play the game? City were surely going to win. Heap the pressure on Liverpool, who were playing the day after. So it's no surprise when Newcastle, they appear to have done bloody well statistically, when you think about it like that, to have held City at bay for 24 seconds. <laughs> Aguero's goal, the cue for Newcastle fans to take up their we-want-Mike-Ashley-out chance, and Robbie Earle. Oh, Robbie Earle dropped the top qual humour, Davo. Normally a manager says keep it tight for the first 20. They mean minutes, not seconds. The best Robbie Earl is improv comedy, Robbie Earl. But it turned out, Davo, to be one of the earliest. And you are the keeper of the scored two early goal records and history, Davo. I would argue it was one of the earliest and most seismic scored two early goals ever scored.
1: They scored way too early. But it it breaks some of my rules because I sort of think that if you're the apex hunter and you go up to a team like struggling to stay out of the relegation zone and you score that early, it's sort of good. You're trying to like knock the stuffing out of the team. That's usually a good time to score that early, Rog.
0: But instead, City do what we've seen them do so often of late. Yep. Like a malfunctioning book, They just went to sleep. I mean, this was a game, to be clear, that first half, if you watched it, it was there to be won. Newcastle were there to be torn apart. I mean, yes, it was freezing, but that was no excuse. City's players just seemed to, before our eyes, lose interest. And we'll chat about why. But they took their foot off Newcastle's throat, where it's firmly placed. And while there's not a huge amount of skill in this Newcastle side, there is an incredible amount of determination. And it revealed itself, and then some, as the two which willfully ceded possession and run, you know, in military terms, what do you call it? An irregular campaign yeah. where you, you have like rare forays behind enemy lines to break up their supply lines on the counter. That was really what happened in that second half.
1: Yeah, and, and you, know, you use the word determination. I would also use the word application. They stuck to their game plan. And I think they probably surprised Man City in terms... Of they didn't will. They stuck to their game plan. They did the thing, as you said, cutting off the supply lines from the back. I think they rattled Man City.
0: Two goals from two defensive lapses. First, Salomon Rondon. And then, as the television popped up a stat... That City had had 90% possession over the previous 10 minutes. Huh. Fernandinho, Fernandinho, I, I do not, I mean, a brain malfunctioning Fernandinho fouling the quite excellent Sean Longstaff in the City area. And we completely overplayed the man and the ball. I screamed at the television when he did so. I, just, I, I was watching with J Dubs and the Men in Blazers staff in our studio, and I just screamed, I howled at the television, What are you doing? What are you doing, Fernandinho? Matt Ritchie converts a penalty. And these are Newcastle stats. 24% possession on the night. Two shots on target. Two goals. I mean, just incredible. It's hard to describe how incredible it was to watch this. I honestly could not believe that what I was seeing was possible. All that money, Manchester City, all that gold bullion, I mean, we've hailed them as the greatest squad in history, managed by the greatest manager of all time, featuring so many of the greatest players in history against, against Newcastle. I mean, a team whose fans only seem to turn up so they can protest every game because their own is such a sadistic cheapskate. It's hard to believe, David.
1: Yeah, but, Rog, this is why the Premier League is so good. This is a team with fantastic players, Premier League-level players, every single one of them. International-level players, almost every single one of them. With a coach in Rafa, who is one of the best managers in the world, still, like, plying his trade for some reason up at Newcastle United. And they had a game plan. You remember I told you when I came back from vacation over Christmas that I was, you know, with Steve Parish, the chairman of, of Palace. He'd showed me before the game against Man City that when Palace went up to the uh, Etihad and one up there, he showed me the 45-page PowerPoint that Palace had prepared for their entire coaching staff, their entire squad on this is how we're going to go and play against them. Every single matchup, every single you know, zone of the field, every single scenario. And you sort of read it before and you think, wow, this is unlikely that they could ever sort of pull this off. <laughs> and then you watch the game and you realize that that PowerPoint is actually taking place. They knew that they couldn't like stop Man City from scoring. They knew they were going to have to outgun them somehow. But every single individual matchup, every single one, every single zone of play was written in that PowerPoint. And every Premier League team has a plan. And we saw that a lot in these midweek matches. And this this midweek evening games, it's, it rattles players. It takes them out of their, their regular routine. Coming off sort of FA Cup and Carabao Cup and all of this nonsense, this is a really good time for the... Newcastle fans, I hate this, the smaller teams to go and take on the bigger teams and and get a shock result. But believe me, it's all in the planning. That's
0: how you defang mighty powerhouse football teams with Microsoft PowerPoint. Rafa's just slidology. Believe in the slidology. Because I believe that. I mean, I love the PowerPoint. But you make PowerPoints for a living. We all send off PowerPoints. 9% of PowerPoints are bullshit to try and portray confidence in the workplace that there's a plan. And and this was something far more magical than any, even the greatest slideologist could ever knock together in PowerPoint. Because it was like watching the Titanic sink, something that was considered unsinkable, just simply just slipping below the waterline 160 minutes after hitting the iceberg. I mean, I've got to say, huge credit, huge credit, because a lot of the talk is about Man City after a game like this. Huge credit to Newcastle United. Their starting 11 cost 52 million. And, and this was a night where you looked at your Newcastle United supporting friends and they looked back at you and they got a feeling like, what? imagine what we could be we could be with a mod. This is a night of magic. This is the Newcastle spirit. With our determination, with Rafa, with a slight investment, what could we be? They leaped to 14th place. Yeah, from a Liverpool perspective, it felt like Rafa Benitez's second greatest night ever uh, in his managerial career. Even more amazing to me, when you remember, it was just a month ago that the same manager announced it would be, quote, a miracle for Newcastle United to stay up. I am so thrilled for the Newcastle fans. I've got a lot of fans who are long suffering. They've suffered more than fans who love to suffer should. And for one day, it felt amazing to be a Newcastle fan, which to me is what football's all about. We should also note: great week for Newcastle fans. Club finally did spend some money buying our friend, Atlanta United GFOP, Miguel Almiron as a playmaker. Please got a playmaker extraordinaire. We'll see $27 million fee. Big moment for MLS. I tweeted this, which for so long has avoided. You've talked about this a lot, Davo. Avoided being a selling league, a stigma. We don't sell. We all know there's a global hierarchy of leagues. Atlanta United's brilliance was simply to acknowledge that that exists. Know where they are on the food chain, act accordingly. It's how global football works. I hope this mega sale is the first of many. And Godspeed, Miggy. But Manchester City, Davo, they have now dropped as many points this season as they did the entire last campaign. They've lost to Leicester, Palace, Newcastle after taking the lead on all three occasions. Why do they go to sleep for such long spells of games they should win? It's like they're bored. It's something we've talked about on repeated occasions.
1: Guardiola is a very good manager, but you've got to continue to motivate these players week after week after week. And you just wonder whether they are tuning out. This you know, he he gets so I mean this is gonna be a theme that's gonna come up in a few games this week. But he gets so frustrated when he doesn't see perfection. And it becomes disheartening for players after a while. For the modern professional footballer, it's quite hard. It's difficult to see who the leaders are on this team, on this squad. Who is the really vociferous, outspoken leader on Manchester City? It's, one of my, it's just one of my question marks about them.
0: My theory is this, David. Over time, I think players tune Pep out. I mean, he is a genius. I, I don't doubt that. But I think the quest for perfection must be exhausting i mean we, yeah. we we often marvel at those games we've seen them early in the season city of five nil ups so the dying seconds and the cameras cut to pep on the sideline going mad because raz has <laughs> done a step over or john stones gave the ball away cheaply if you're listening to this podcast and you're a parent of teens or many of you are teens yourself you'll know as a parent you've got to pit your battles if you get angry about every infraction every messy room every terrible table habit, every curfew that's busted, your kids start to tune you out. And so I've got to think it is with Pep, which is why he burns out around the three-year mark. The intensity, the detail, the human madness that he brings for players who are merely mortal, it just must be impossible to sustain.
1: The loss wasn't so bad because of what happened at Anfield, Rog. Liverpool won, Leicester won. Could they take advantage and extend their lead at the top of the table? <laughs> no. Well, it looked that way after they grabbed the lead on just three minutes through Sadio Mane. But a goal in first half injury time from good old slabhead Harry Maguire. What a finish, by the way. It earns a point for perpetually under pressure Claude Puel and his faxes. Liverpool do go five points clear atop the table, but it could have been seven, Rog.
0: <sighs> yeah, I mean, Klopp reportedly, I love this, did not watch Manchester City lose Tuesday. He chose, he told the media, to watch a movie with his wife instead. What movie do you think Klopp Netflix is? That's interesting. How he relaxes. I'm trying to get my head around it completely.
1: Yeah, crazy rich agents, funny, yeah, good. <laughs> uh, I have no idea, no idea.
0: Oh, I bet you, I've tried to think through, like, be the Klopp. What would you watch on repeat if you were him? I bet you, I put a lot of money on this, actually. I don't like to bet on football, but I put a lot of money on this. I bet you Jurgen Klopp only watches Schindler's List. <laughs> or oh, 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 if I'm wrong, it's Inglorious Bastards. One or the other. I bet you he really gets a kick out of Lieutenant Alderay. I just Alder don't, rate, I just don't it,
1: think that's what he watches.
0: <laughs> Whatever it was, free game. He was in great form. Everyone was in great form. My brother told me he was nervous, but there was pre-match adrenaline in surplus at Anfield and the suspense lasted two minutes. Liverpool barely let Leicester touch the ball. I think it were 30 passes in the move before Mane picked up slop in the box, swerved, skip through gray, the ice, the sleet and the Leicester back line to slot home two minutes and three seconds. I think it was, I just noted down in my little game notebook. God, I pray Leicester conceding the early, early goal means they're so Newcastle-y right now. And they kind of were, David. they kind of were because the game settled into a rhythm. It was cold. It was Liverpool cold. I, I've got to say, Going up in Liverpool, that freezing air, I was taken about watching that game with the snow coming down the ice. on It reminded me of my own school days where we were forced to play rugby in that weather. And just by sadistic sports teachers, forbidden from wearing an undershirt. So you'd have to play just in your little vest and your tight, tight shorts and run around. And that ground's so hard. And it hurts. And it's miserable. And your nipples feel like they're about to tear off if you touch them. So I actually felt for the players, especially the Liverpool ones, who just returned from a week's warm weather training in Dubai. Poor gents. But that ground, said afterwards, it made the pitch more the opponent. The Leicester their slick passing game just couldn't take hold in the frost
1: but it was such a stupid mistake that led to the Leicester goal a needless free kick given away uh, to Leicester ball swings in and from the the post set piece slot Harry Maguire slips in I mean what a brilliant held off run one of the most underappreciated uh, moves in football staying on side a held off run for a central defender at the end of a set piece and he slots it home and this is like the kind of goal that Liverpool were not conceding earlier this season and should be a bit of a worry for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, t- to be candid, with that late run, he lost the great, great, great Virgil van Dijk, David. Yeah, I-, I will say I've not cheered so hard for a Leicester since NBC's Holt <laughs> was waiting to find out if he was getting the nightly news hosting job on a permanent <laughs> basis. But God love it. Harry Maguire, Liverpool fans listening will say, yeah, he should have been sent off already for dogs out. Um, You've probably got a case, a lot of anger afterwards with the referee, uh, but he nodded the ball to finally home with his national treasure. I'm sure it's got a heritage marker on it, his national treasure of a slab head. A goal scored for City, both of them, Leicester and Manchester. It was like every Liverpool player suddenly strapped into a girdle of nerves. Alisson, his distribution a nightmare all night. He did come up big to prevent a Firmino own goal (laughs) off a set piece The crowd furious, seething uh, that Cato was not awarded a penalty and he should have been. But Liverpool did not threaten much more than that. I was sure, I was sure in the second half that they were going to do that thing they do at the end of games, that old miss-hit Virgil van Dijk shot, bouncing twice off the crossbar into Origi's shoulder in the last second thing again. They even brought on Lallana and Sturridge, who I truly feared were both the unexpected heroes who would step up to write their name late into law. But it was not to be. Huge performance by Leicester. So defensively impressive. God, I will say Leicester losing against Southampton, Newport and Cardiff. Cardiff winning against Chelsea and Man City. Now a play against Liverpool. An amazing stat. The first one's Klopp has dropped against a non-top six side this season. Did it feel like a loss for Liverpool, and reprieve for City, Davo, or in the scheme of things, not that bad a result for Liverpool. Which is it?
1: Oh, no, I think this was bad. I mean, they had a chance to really put some space between them and their challengers. And this not only keeps City in the title race, they would have been in the title race anyway, but keeps them closer, but it keeps Spurs. I've got to say, it keeps Spurs in the title race as well. There are a lot of games to come between the top six for the rest of the season. And I still think it's going to be very, very close at the end. <sighs>
0: What does your Pinot Grigio say? What does your morning Pinot Grigio say? Take a sip.
1: Tell us. Still says Man City. (gasps) They're still the champions. They're still the Premier League champions. Pep Guardiola has won title after title after title. I just feel like City's defence with all the injuries at Liverpool, I feel like Liverpool have still got some problems at the back. I still like City for the title.
0: 14 games to go. Best Premier League title race in forever. Liverpool still have to get over the prospect of me going on Morning Joe on Monday to talk about how they are going to win the title for the first time in 29 years <laughs> and curse them. The nerves are going to ratchet up. West Ham awaiting waiting Monday afternoon. Men in Blazers to follow live shortly afterwards. Bring it on.
1: One of the remarkable games this midweek, Roger Man United 2, Burnley 2, dead and buried. 2-0 down in the 87th minute. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's side claw their way out of the grave to rescue a draw, the rough-and-tumble Clarets had gone ahead through Lancashire, Bash Brothers, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood, but an 87th-minute Paul Pogba penalty and a 92nd-minute winner from Swedish Phil Jones, Viktor Lindelof, <laughs> makes it eight wins and one draw in nine for OGS. United are now just two points off the top four. Roger, amazing game.
0: Amazing. We should say United fresh off a dominant and tactically brilliant FA Cup scalping of Arsenal followed it up with a fairly cumbersome, sluggish performance for most of this one against a respect-organised Burnley combination of fine, last gas defending, and uncharacteristically sloppy Rashford finishing. And I guess the fact that Lukaku was playing for United kept them in it. Burnley worked hard. Tom Heaton, magnificent. He was, I'd say, simply De Gea-esque in the Burnley goal in that second half. And his return and the related replacement of one Joe Hart that came with it has really... Change Burnley's season of late, and when Ashley Barnes Wolf blitzed that every time I say that, I want Wolf Blitzer to come on our show. It's so bad time, Wolf. If you're listening and you like shows with absurdly good chemistry, get on this show. <laughs> Ashley Barnes Wolf blitzed the ball into that situation room. It was the first time in the Ole Solskjaer era that United had been behind, and it was soon worse. Yeah. Chris Wood left alone in the area, nodded at home 2 0, and it felt for a minute, Dave. With were Pep's team just imploding all over the field at Newcastle. This was the night that the entire city of Manchester had become crap at football. But United, they came back at them.
1: And as we've said all season about Man United, they got some really good players, uh, Roger. they got some really good players.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was the arrival of Lings off the bench, Jesse Lingard uh, and Alexis, respect to him. Uh, they came on and it felt like watching United of old for the last quarter of the game, just hell-bent on dragging themselves back into a game under Sir Alex, confident. Yeah, they missed Martial uh, with a knock. Big, big re-signing new contract today. That is a bellwether of the current mood of the locker room that he has signed a new contract. Pogba, yeah, you say a fairly modest, relatively normal penalty for him. And then right at the end, Lindelof is first as a Manchester United player, a symbol of his personal rebirth. And you'll say real character, real character displayed by Ole's team, and to me, it is the greatest evidence of Ole's magical United touch that they've become appointment viewing once again. You know, under Jose, I'll be honest, I did tune into every game, but it was it was guilty pleasure viewing. It was like rubbernecking. You, you wanted to see the crashes, the blow-ups, the self sabotage, his, his angry faces the Pogba sulks on the bench. Now you watch for the entertaining
1: football again, which is as it should be, David. Well, yeah, and you're watching players turn it on for their manager, enjoying playing within, you know, whatever system this is. It sort of feels sometimes like he's just letting them play football. But it's, it's great to watch. And leaders all over the pitch, all of a sudden. Leaders everywhere. Amazing players coming off the bench. You know, to have the talent of Jesse Lingard and Sanchez coming off the bench, I mean, it must be terrifying Uh, For those poor Burnley players.
0: I will say, you're right, these players who are full of fear have turned into leaders, and how they react to the drop points is going to be fascinating to watch this
1: weekend. Okay, Ross, Bournemouth 4, Chelsea 0. Maurizio Sari's team respond to their manager's criticism following the Arsenal game by absolutely capitulating on the South Coast. A Josh King <laughs> brace and goals from David Brooks and Charlie Daniels. I actually laughed out loud when the Charlie Daniels goal went in. Left Bournemouth fans all-laying by the end of the game. Chelsea slide out of the top four. That was quicker than a slide. And their cigarette-loving Chelsea boss is now bookmakers' second favourite to be the next Premier League manager to leave his position after the aforementioned Puel at Leicester.
0: Chelsea's first four-goal loss in 853 Premier League games, stretching back to September 1996. A hammering delivered by Bournemouth, tiny Bournemouth, loser of their last nine straight against big six teams. I mean, This was not even a full-strength Bournemouth side out. Uh, Callum Wilson, Chelsea target, uh, and Jefferson Lerma out. But my God, they're fleet-footed forwards. David Brooks in particular, they treated it almost like it was an audition to join the Chelsea frontline. line. They, they had the kind of clinical finishing that Chelsea have just lacked over the past month. They tore that Chelsea backline line over and over and over again apart. Now, Davo, I, as you know, I'm not a manager, <laughs> but it is no surprise to me that the club whose manager has not said that his players are tactically subpar, mentally suboptimal, and called out his best player for lacking in leadership beat the club whose manager has. Do you feel the same?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean it's I mean it's ludicrous. I mean I've as you know I've been a massive doubter of Maurizio Sarri all season even when it was going very well at the beginning. This tactical inflexibility just does not work in the Premier League, especially when you do not have the players to go and play his tactics. It's pretty clear what teams are doing against Chelsea. They're just targeting Jorginho and just cutting off the whole game and forcing Chelsea to play a game where You know, you've got quite slow wing-backs trying to sort of come up the side and deliver balls in for poor N'Golo Kante playing often as sort of trying to play in the Frank Lampard role. It's a very, very very strange thing to go and watch. Usually, Rog, Chelsea managers only start losing the dressing room after two or three seasons. The fact that it's happened so quickly is a a testament to uh, Maurizio Sarri and his his unbelievable lack of human skills.
0: Yeah, I mean, this Chelsea side, they seem to have only two gears, which is winning titles or downing tools. And here's my worry for Sarri in his first season. I mean, Antonio Conte, in his first season, he did destroy the players in the media, but they responded by going on a winning run and marching to glory. Sarri has ripped the players several times. He's eviscerated publicly his duel, Hazard, And they've responded by surrendering to Bournemouth. I mean, post-game, again, he kept the players locked in for a 50-minute bollocking in English or Italian. I don't know what he's doing. Whatever it is, it's not working. Is he taking a leaf from the Jose Mourinho self immolation playbook with new added cigarette butts? Or is there something more kind of shrewd 4D chess that's going on, like he's trying to push Azard out? Um, you know, David Luiz is on the end of contract. William and Pedro are ageing. He wants them all out. And he's trying to force Abramovich to clean house. Is there, is there a plan here or is it just a crap manager doing what Chelsea managers occasionally do? Andre Villas-Boas, Phil Scarlari, and just crumble quickly.
1: This is a manager who decided on his starting lineup in preseason before he had all of his players back and decided on the way he was going to go in football. And nothing he's seen has changed his mind. Most Chelsea fans still believe that our best defender is Anders Christensen, who's still not playing. David Luiz just trotted around in this game and was hopeless. Hopeless. Hopeless.
0: Poor guy. Probably unconscious after being knocked in the face early on.
1: You know, just very strange. And really, it's the lack of heart more than anything else. You know, Chelsea played pretty well in the first half. You know, fantastic save by Boric, uh, which prevented Kovacic from scoring from, from a very good move. They had plenty of possession, which they always have. And... They had a chance. It was just the lack of heart, the crumbling after that first goal. That second goal, which is honestly one of the worst goals I've ever seen Chelsea concede, ever.
0: It was Everton. Yeah,
1: it was just an awful goal.
0: Welcome, friend.
1: And yes, credit Bournemouth. Fantastic play. But just that lack of heart. When you think of the Chelsea teams, and by the way, some of the less likeable Chelsea teams, but Chelsea have always had leaders on that pitch. Always had leaders on that pitch. You know, I can't think of of a Chelsea era before now, when you couldn't point out that's the character who's leading, that's the person who's going to lead them. There isn't a leader on this pitch. There's no one. It's Christian Pulisic. He's coming. He's coming, maybe. Who knows, Rog?
0: When you laugh at that fourth goal, what is that laughter of? Laughter of sadness, laughter of folly,
1: laughter of the madness of men. I mean, partly it was actually laughter because I was quite... Happy for Bournemouth at that stage. Like when you're 3-0 down and you're at injury <laughs> time, you're not trying to get back in the game. It was just a moment of pure <sighs> joy. But just watching the looks... You're such a nice man. No, but watching all the looks on the faces, you're not trying to win a game at that point. Just watching the, just, the, just the looks on the faces of the Chelsea defenders and Kepper looking so forlorn in the goal, like just trying to process what is happening. Uh, he doesn't even know what Bournemouth is. He doesn't even know what Bournemouth means. You reference that they haven't lost by four goals. The last time they lost by four goals, they did actually manage to score one. I think they lost 5-1 to Liverpool. It's a... It's just... It is... It is is inconceivable what is going on right now at Chelsea Football Club.
0: Dave, big man feeling warmth and happiness empathetically for global Bournemouth Mm. fan base because they probably had a day they will remember for ages. Chelsea, though, is this the team that began with five successive victories and beaten till? Late November, oh, worse. City, Liverpool, United, all to play away still. And a top four place, beginning to look like a... I mean, this is the interesting Abramovic decision. It's lucky it's within touching distance. It's under control, but it is a uphill climb with that locker room smouldering. And you've got to think, Sarri, he's probably got to fear the third coming of of Portuguese Billy Martin. Jose Mourinho, oh. Dave good God, please make that happen. Bring him back.
1: yeah. I don't know that that's going to happen, but he's got to rotate the squad. He's got to give, you know, some players a chance. He's got to have Callum Hudson-Odoi, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and Some of the younger players, he's just got to, like, introduce them. He's got to build some competition for places. That's the only way to motivate professional players. The only way.
0: Bob Bradley still
1: available. Okay, Tottenham, two. Watford, one. Spurs come from behind and earn this round's only victory for a top three team. Craigers Catcart put the awns ahead on 38 minutes. A fresh off Asian Cup duty son lashed home the equaliser on 80 minutes. And in the 87th minute, old double L's Fernando Llorente, who had earlier missed an open goal from about five centimetres, went from donkey to goat, heading past Ben Foster for the winner. Spurs now within seven points of Liverpool, just two off Manchester City.
0: God love Llorente. It was so very heartening watching him. The relief that he's still an international-level striker in his own mind. He's an international-level striker like Tyson Chicken Nugget to Made a Chicken. But Spurs, big picture. What a week. Another year without silverware beckons. Out the League Cup and the FA Cup within four days, we tweeted that Tottenham can now focus on their top priorities of not winning the Premier League and Champions League (laughs) elimination, which was which was cruel. And I'll say, as an Everton fan, I would bite your hands off if you offered me the type of failure that Spurs have experienced recently. I think they are such a spectacularly impressive club and currently sitting with 54 points, at least four points more than they've ever had at this stage in a Premier League competition. So respect, really respect. But what I want to talk to you about, Dave, after this hard fought much much-needed, impressive comeback win... Another year, no silverware. Chelsea beat them in the League Cup semi-final on penalties. So close again for Spurs. Spurs and trophies, like Moses and the promised land. They can see it. They can almost touch it, but they can't enter. And Pochettino spent every press conference since explaining it away, claiming Spurs had no history of winning, which is kind of him saying, I shouldn't be blamed for the lack of trophies. And then saying, I don't think a trophy would help this club. I don't agree with that. That only builds your ego. Uh, The most important thing is being in the top four and playing in the Champions League, uh, which I read as being, oh, it's good that we didn't win a trophy. The ego, thank God we didn't win. The legacy of Pochettino at Spurs, which I think has been a phenomenal era, and I'm not ending it. Please God, it'll go on for a long time, but it may be without trophies. David, I think we think differently about that. Does that matter? Yes, (laughs)
1: yeah, it does. Winning trophies really matters. That's the point of of being in a league. It's the point of entering a cup competition. It's the point of being in professional sports to win trophies. But it doesn't mean that we can't admire what he continues to do uh, at Tottenham and the performances he's getting out of his team and he's still knocking on the door. Of this title, a sort of bad week for him, you know, the loss to Chelsea in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. I don't think that's going to, like, break his heart, but he would like a bit of silverware. But impressive. I'm still blown away with what he manages to do at Tottenham week after week, month after month, season after season. Here's what I
0: realized, thinking, trying to make believe I was a Tottenham fan, which is not particularly scientifically possible, but I really tried. It made me realize I don't care about trophies. I don't watch sports for trophies. I watch to experience moments, feelings, really, feelings that we've always joked about that you're meant to feel in real life, but we're inured to. Emotions, I guess. And thinking about Spurs, I've talked to a couple of my mates who are Spurs fans, what is the big deal about winning? I think about life and football in the same way. Any relationship, any marriage, friendship, living with a partner, even with absurd levels of chemistry, it's not all joy. You work hard. You make great moments happen. You revel in those great moments in the relationship. And it's the same with a football club. It's a two-way commitment to work bloody hard to give something of value to each other. But I will say, though, when City lost on Tuesday night, Producer J-Dubs turned to me at the final whistle and just said, oh, Spurs suppose they're going to win this title after all, aren't they? And I'd love it. I would love it.
1: Yeah, you know who won't love it? Arsenal, Rog. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal 2, Cardiff 1, Unai Emery's men slide into the top four thanks to second-half goals from the quad-lettered strike combo of Oba and Laka. Cardiff did pull one back, but life for them is about much more than football at the moment, Rog. Last week, a plane carrying the club's record signing from Nantes. Emiliano Sala and a pilot, they went missing over the English Channel Roche. Yesterday, cushions presumably from that single-engine aircraft were found on a beach in France.
0: And heartbreaking scenes at both Nantes for their first game uh, post this awful tragedy. And at Arsenal, where Cardiff fans celebrated the life of Emiliano Sala ahead of what would have been his debut, Uh, they brought a long banner. They actually took it to Nantes Uh, The next day, and it said, We never saw you play and never saw you score, but Emiliano, our beautiful bluebird, we will love you forevermore. It's been gut wrenching to watch this week of turmoil. Cardiff, the players, the manager, the fans grieving deeply for a man they never got to know. Watching Salah's suffering family in their darkest hour raising money to fund the continued search, which is now sadly continued, but underwater. And Cardiff coach Neil Warnock talked about how surreal this whole thing is when he said, I've been in football management now for 40 years. It's by far the most difficult week in my career by an absolute mile. And the hard and brutal truth is football is an unsentimental place. I mean, the relegation battle goes on. And and this was a week in which all the other strugglers, apart from Huddersfield, picked up points. There was this nobility, there was this beauty to the way Cardiff have handled this most awful of weeks. But in the heartless world of football, this is a brutal, brutal moment for the club.
1: Fulham for Brighton to the Cottagers channel the Gilbert Arenas era Washington Wizards, essentially waving the white flag at the defensive end and focusing only on scoring. After going down 2 0 to a pair of inevitable Glenn Murray goals in the first <laughs> 17 minutes, Claudio Ranieri's mob pumped four past the Seagulls, including an Alexander Mitrovic brace and a Callum Chambers stonker. Fulham, however, still six points from safety, but this is a morale-boosting victory.
0: Yeah, I mean, Ranieri had said before the game Fulham had to win, and they were 2-0 down in a heartbeat, seemingly knocked out, a fight with someone, they spine. Alexander Mitrovic, who, uh, watch, I watch him, he the kind of centre-forward Chelsea are desperately looking for, a oh. crazy physical unstoppable force on his day when he wants. And he seemed to drag Fulham back into this. Fight, belief, not dead yet. Three points at a more than three points. Proof oh, that they're alive. Fulham are alive, David.
1: Ralph Hampton won. Crystal Palace <laughs> won, Roger. A point of peace on the south coast. two sides over which the relegation zone's guillotine still precariously dangles. Half man, half amazing. Wilfred Zaha put the visitors ahead in the 41st minute, only for James Ward Prowse to pull the Saints level in the second half. Late on in the game, a bit of afters from the goal scorers resulted in a Zaha sending off, idiotic actually, which Palace can ill afford. Both these sides on 23 points, just four points clear of the drop.
0: I love the BBC tweet for Zaha's Red. They tweeted, Crystal Palace goal scorer Wilfred Zaha has been dismissed following a sarcastic clap. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I feel for him. We've shot uh, with Zaha, and I think we both know he's a big fan of the French philosopher Roland Barthes, who said, What I claim is to live to the full contradiction of my time which may well make sarcasm the condition of truth. Referees just don't understand French philosophy.
1: Wolves 3, West Ham nil. El Raul Jimenez notches a brace as the boys from the black country leap into 7th. The Irons, meanwhile, slip into 12th place. Huddersfield nil. Everton won, Rog. Happy days. Rich Arlison scores to lift your mob over a team that is basically already relegated. We're sure this filled you with immense joy, Roger.
0: Who cares? <laughs> Honestly. I mean, this was a week in which Everton were dumped out of the FA Cup by Championship strugglers Millwall after taking the lead bloody twice. I mean, conceding a last second goal that oh, just. I wrote in my book as it went in with no pain because I'm so effing numb that being an Everton fan is like competing in an ultra marathon of misery. It is, that is ultimately what it is. Two hundred and eight, one of those 280 mile races where just you get runner's nipple after about the first four miles. No leadership, no intelligence. I mean, this win was in a game that was irrelevant because Everton season is over. It's over, a, a wasted season. For me, going back to the Tottenham thing, devoid of any moments of joy that kind of shape fans' memories, bring families together, the great GFOP at Dante Florence sent me a a commiserating German word that captures beautifully how I feel about my fandom for Everton Football Club right now. The word is SENSUCHT, which translates to, and I'm sure German listeners, I apologise for my my accent, SENSUCHT translates to The inconsolable human longing for we know not what. A high degree of human yearning often painful, particularly if there's no hope of attaining the desire.
1: Oh Rog. Okay. That's
0: all I've got, sensucht. Yeah. We'll probably sign him in the transfer window. Yeah, well, talking of sensor, uh,
1: two G's, one B. Greg G-G-G-G Berhalter won his first game at the helm of the U.S. Men's National Team. His G-force saw off G G force <laughs> saw off a tepid Panama 3 0 in front of maybe half a dozen fans in Glendale, Arizona. Good result here on the field, but the optics maybe not as good, Rog.
0: Yep, 473 days after the era-defining loss to Trinidad and Tobago. But who's counting? Me. The US finally took the field in a game in which they had a permanent manager who could be held accountable for their play. Five players made their debut. Panama were incredibly poor. Good news is we won. Eagle screech. But there's little to read into it. This was very much one B team playing another reserve squad a deeply unmotivated reserve squad. And for me, the biggest U.S. winner of the weekend was watching Tyler Adams, our GFOP, nine-year-old midfielder friend, making his Bundesliga debut for Leipzig and looking like he belonged. Remarkable thing, watching the U.S. was the crowd, or or really the lack of it, attendance of 9,040 announced at Phoenix's vast NFL stadium. It was GFOPs there sent us photos of just the vast emptiness a shocking quiet symbol these photos of just really how much apathy surrounds the team and how much work they got to do not to win back like the greater american sporting public who aren't sure how they feel about soccer they, they've got to win back the soccer avid audience whom they've really burnt at coach Burledge tweeted us in 2026 fans everywhere <laughs> will claim to have been one of the 256 rabid supporters in attendance the night the USA changed the trajectory of our international soccer program forever. God willing, inshallah. <laughs> Coach and inshallah.
1: The uh, US men's national team, Greg, good, 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 Good's US men's national team will go again this Saturday at 3.30pm Eastern time against Costa Rica in San Jose, California. That game is on network. OK, the rest of your weekend looks like this. It starts at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time Saturday. Spurs host Flying High, Newcastle United. <laughs> then Sunday, Man U continue to stake their claim for a top-four spot against Leicester at 9.05 a.m. That's followed by the game of the weekend, Rod. Man City versus Arsenal at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Should we have a prophetic shot of Jaeger, Rod? See what the oh, future I thought holds? you'd never ask.
0: My glass of Jaeger, that exclamation point of human emotion in a glass going down the hatch. Hold on. <laughs> Honestly, that is one way to get rid of the sensucht. Is with oh, a shot of Jägermeister. And my Jaegermeister tells me, it's interesting, the transfer window is about to close this afternoon as we pod. And from an Arsenal perspective, so many questions. What's going to happen to lovable yet mercurial waif Meza Ozil? We don't know at time of podding. Arsenal have already welcomed ex-Barcelona midfielder Denis Suarez on a season-long loan, a man whose careers flickered on and off, including a loan move at Seville where he worked with Unai Emery. Um, He welcomed to the Premier League as a new friend and as a former Manchester City prospect. I see him starting and shocking the world with a surprise early goal. Oh, a wonderful moment, an emotional high um, in a 3-1 Manchester City victory.
1: Oh, wow. Well, my Jaeger, Rodge tastes of bounce-back ability I what the German the bounce back ability is.
0: It's not Sensucht.
1: Yeah, I like City getting back on track in this one. Thanks to one man, Rog. Three letters, R-A-Z. Oh. I'm going for a Raz-double City to win it 3-1. The notorious R-A-Z. Okay, all those games are on NBC, S-N, as is the Men in Blazers show, Rog, and our absurd levels of chemistry. That airs at 5.30pm Eastern Time Monday following West Ham versus Liverpool, the host of Netflix's Patriot Act, with Hassan Minaj. Hassan Minaj stopped by the panic room for this one, Rog.
0: Yeah, he's the kind of man I wish I was. Intelligent, handsome, with hair. Oh, Hassan is an incredibly talented bloke. His whole thing about soccer is that he follows the game avidly, but almost exclusively through Instagram. So he's like all in on Ronaldo, knows everything about Neymar's doings. Pogba, don't get me started on the Pog dance. So I took it as an obligation to introduce him to a new friend phil jones and he let's just say smash that follow button
1: okay gfops be sure to check out two new episodes of our digital travel series with visit britain the episode featuring our trip to the first female master tailor in savile row history Catherine Sargent, dropped on monday still got to go back and get my suits made rog and this she's
0: here she's coming to america next week to do fittings in major cities across america
1: oh i've got to make an appointment she's coming into our office She's coming in, mate. Okay, I don't have to make an appointment. Just get measured. And this Friday on our social and meninblazers.com, you take on a full English breakfast, one of about 50 you took in London at the Regency Cafe.
0: Yeah, it was struggle is real. Um, I will say it gives us unbelievable pleasure seeing just how many GFOPs are following our lead and going over to England. The letters we've had from you, uh, the photographs, the patches at the park, almost every Premier League game kicking off uh, the past couple of weeks, has had listeners to Men in Blazers. It thrills us more than we can say. Uh, I do, I will be candid, love a greasy spoon cafe. A calf, would you call them up south? A calf. And the Regency Cafe, the Regency Calf. Oh, in all of its deco beauty, one of my great life accomplishments, I love making this film. You were actually, you went to the gym, I went to the Regency CAF. Yeah. And one of my great life accomplishments of last year was finishing off a full play, including the bubble and squeak, a dish in which I believe all of life's meaning can be found. Um, so that is going up, and I, I'm prouder of that than pretty well any piece of content we've ever created. Also, we have a great tribute to the Bud Bowl, the real MVP of Super Bowls past. Coming Sunday, we have been immersed in the bubble, a great American tradition that needs to be brought
1: back. I didn't go to any gym, Roger. I went to Anthony Joshua's boxing gym. Anyway, there are many bubble other ways to connect time, to us, friend. including our now extinct Amazon Emporium. It's transformed into the Men and Blazers Ballmark, Rog. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Ballmark, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional orbit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the Ballmark this week, Rockelio? A book! Mm.
0: The Raven Master My Life with the Ravens at the Tower of London by Christopher Skyfe. I'm still on my memoir kick. And this one was an enchantingly quirky volume by Skyfe, a lifetime soldier turned raven master at the Tower of London. Yes, yeah, this is a real job, a man whose job it is to take care of the seven resident ravens at that beautiful, beautiful place. As tradition has it, if the ravens ever leave the tower, it will crumble to dust. London will fall and an immense harm will come to England. And if you think your job had high pressure, just think about that for a sec. And Skyfe describes the job in which he devotes his life to the birds. He feeds them blood-soaked biscuits and disemboweled pigeons. He says it's a cross between being a security guard, a ceremonial guard, an amateur historian and a stand-up comedian, which he makes sound a bit like being Stoke City manager. The book is a beautiful piece of storytelling. He just revels in history and in a city life, essentially lived in nature. If you like odd Englishmen like Joe Hart, you will love this book. As Skype concludes, I've discovered a lot through this job about what it means to be human. I've learned to listen, to observe, and to be still. The Ravens have been my teachers, and I've been their pupil.
1: Uh, rog, this is not a paid ad. It's going to sound like a paid ad, but it's not a paid ad, and I think it's a company that perhaps do do some paid ads with some other digital brands, some other podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hooked. What is it? You got me intrigued. As you know, I mainly wear Stan Smiths. It's pretty much all I wear. But occasionally I feel, especially in winter, that I can't wear Stan Smiths. And I like boots, or as my daughter JJ used to call them when she was young, boops. I love my boots. I love a a pair of boots. And recently got an amazing pair of new boots from Thursday Boots, Rob, Thursdayboots.com. I like the captains. Uh, I got them in Adobe. Order definitely half a size down from what you wear in your sneakers. Thursdayboots.com. These are good boots, not too expensive.
0: What's so good about them? The thing I love about you is that you buy, and this is why I always admire, you buy multiples. If I buy many things at the same time, I always favor one and then one thing never gets worn. But you like you just buy multiples. You buy them all. You tick all the boxes. What is so special about these boots?
1: I don't know. that I do buy that model. I sort of live between New York and LA, and I don't like travel with a big suitcase. So I have stuff in in both places. And I've got boots I love in New York. I don't need to. I don't need any new boots out there. But needed some boots for LA, especially with this uh, with this with this weather front coming in. They are comfortable, and they're not like. Sometimes boots can just be too much, you know, too just too much. These boots are, you know, you're not trying to make too much of a statement. They're just stealth great boots. Oh,
0: I wish we could make an infomercial for this.
1: Thursday boots.
0: Thursday boots. I just love the... Do you ever feel like your boots are just too much? It's not a feeling I've ever had before, but now I know I'm going to start feeling that my boots are a bit too much. Yeah. Can I plug the boots I'm wearing that get me through this bloody cold winter in New York City? I've always been a Clarks man, always, since the age of zero. Always has been Clarks in my life. I live and die for that. I would like, when I pass away, I don't know where it will be or when it will be. I would like to make sure I am wearing a pair of Clark shoes. <laughs> just They are they're everything. They are my world in every way, but recently Clark's attackers, yeah. Oh my god, don't get me started on just the nature belt, the poly or just just so many different moods. All of them through the wonderful, it's just a they will never mind the Ravens at the Tower of London, they will always be in England as long as there's a Clark's a, a business in, in great operation. But I've recently come to love a an American bootmaker, um, Yukaten, Y U K E T E N. They are. They are slightly more than I would ever want to pay for a boot. And I had to take a nighttime job just to be able to, to, to buy them. Um, second job, it may have been me that cleaned your office, but it was worth it because, my God, they are handcrafted. I think up in Maine, and they are just, I, I, they are so great. I've, I have them. I've had them for a year and a half, and they're almost too great for me to wear. Like, I, I just, the amount of craftsmanship that's gone into them, I never want to get them dirty. I never want to, so you're meant to wear them in, like, hazardous hazardous um, times. You're meant to raft in them and all that stuff. I just never want to get them dirty. They are such a, almost a work of art. Between Clarks and Yucatan. And Tuesday Club, you've got every place covered, America. Thursday,
1: Thursday boots. We we ought to go out on a boot date, and You can wear your boots and I'll wear my boots. Oh, and mate. we'll see if they have absolute levels of we chemistry should, as well.
0: We should start doing a new pod boot wearing today. Modern boot wearer. <laughs> Is your boot just too much? Oh, that was beautiful, mate.
1: Yeah. You can follow uh, all of our uh, boot news on Twitter at Men and Blazers, <laughs> at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at Men and Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook Men and Blazers. You can always email us at Blazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of or, so, or Buy our book, The Encyclopedia Blazer Tanaka Rog, for yourself, for your new football loving friends. It's available at all good booksellers, including something that rhymes with Wamazon. There's a chapter on Clarks in that. There is. Uh, Vendor Punk, Rog. War Pig. Who wants to sex my I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose.
0: To Tweed.
1: Abrigado. rock on, mate.
0: Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Devo.
1: Love you, Rog.
0: Absurd levels of chemistry. Sort of. Sensucht.